But as we're here in this fourth chapter of St. Matthew, we're at the beginning of the fourth chapter of St. Matthew, but right before this passage begins and Jesus goes out into the desert, he's led by the Spirit, we wrap up the third chapter of St. Matthew with his baptism. Jesus goes down to John the Baptist, is baptized in the River Jordan, he emerges from the water, and the Spirit of God hovers over him. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and the voice of God the Father says, Behold, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. In that moment, you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all together in this moment. God in His entirety. My beloved Son, and I am well pleased with Him. And that's so significant because immediately the Spirit brings Jesus out to the desert to pray and to fast, to go on retreat, if you will, to prepare Him for His public ministry. And then the devil comes along, the enemy, or as Matthew says, the tempter. He approaches Jesus, and he doesn't lie to Jesus. He doesn't accuse Jesus of everything. He doesn't say anything directly other than a temptation. He never says, you are not the Son of God. He never says, you are not the Almighty. He never says, you're incapable of any of these things. Instead, he says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, prove it. Do something. Show me that you mean it. If you are, what do you mean if? We know that Jesus is God. We know that the Father revealed him to be so. Behold my beloved Son, and I am well pleased in him. We tend to read this passage and we think that the devil is being prideful. Oh, if you are as mighty as you say it is, taunting Jesus. But I tend to think of him trying to hide behind that because he is terrified. If you are the Son of God, turn those loaves, those stones into loaves. Prove it. But what he really means is, if you are the Son of God, show me so that I know where to hide. If you are the Son of God, show me so that I can run, because I know you're the one that's going to conquer me. I know you're the one that God has promised, and I know you are him in the flesh. If you are, please prove it. How often in life we hear the enemy whisper those same words to us. If you are a beloved child of God, if you are his son, if you are his daughter, if you are so loved, why is your life such a mess? If God is so great and he's so present and he's so powerful, why is the world in such shambles? If he loves you so much, why can't you hear him or see him or feel him or experience him or embrace him or anything else? If he is this, if you are that, prove it. The temptation of the enemy is not to make some great sign to prove our being. His temptation is for us to start doubting, to turn away, to believe his lie that we're nothing special, that we're not called to anything, that we have no gifts, that we have nothing to do, nothing to prove, nowhere to be, we just exist. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, Lent can take on that feel. We heard just half a week ago for Ash Wednesday, as you get your ashes, you are dust and unto dust you shall return. How degrading that can sound sometimes. Until you see it in the context of the first reading from Genesis. When we see that Jesus, that God, takes the dust of the earth and forms it. 
He doesn't play with Play-Doh, make a little action figure, have fun with it, and then throw it away. He takes the dust of the earth, the dust of his creation, forms it into his image, into each and every one of us, and breathes it into life. Think of it that way, and what dignity we have. What value we have. What a beautiful sacrifice the, Lord's make, the Lord makes to breathe that life into us again and again. And yet the enemy has the audacity, the gall to come around and say, if you are so special, we know we are. If God is so great, we know he is. He's created us. But dare I say, we shouldn't so, fo so much focus on the enemy's questions as much as we should take that question and ask our God himself. Ask him, Lord, if I am your beloved, if I am chosen, if I am cherished, if I am your son or daughter, why is my life the way it is? If you are so merciful and you give me your mercy so freely, why do I have to go to the confessional over and over and over to confess the same sins again and again and again? If you are so real and tangible, then why can't I see you in the Eucharist? Tastes like some stale bread to me. Looks like some little white circle Father holds up. Why can't I see your glory like the apostles did? Jesus, if you are alive, why can't I hear you? If you call me, why can't I hear your voice? Why can't I embrace you? Why is the world in such a mess? If you care so much, if you are so good, if you do exist, where are you? We shouldn't be afraid to ask that question because if it comes from a place of honesty in our hearts, he is going to answer. He doesn't breathe us into life and then just want us to come to him and call us and beckon us and then the moment we turn to him, he backs off and goes, oh, I'm not ready for you. I'm not interested in what you have to say. You're too messy. You got too many problems. You're too imperfect. Go to him and ask the questions. The enemy says, if you are the son of God, Jesus, prove it. That's coming from a place of fear and malice. When we ask the Lord, Lord, if you are good, show it to me. If I am your beloved son or daughter, prove it to me. That comes from a place of true love a place of longing for fulfillment, a fulfillment and a peace and a joy, a mercy that only God himself can fulfill, that only he can offer. Each and every one of us in this church tonight has a place at the table. We have a place in the kingdom. We have a mansion, one of the many, many mansions in heaven that Jesus talks about. When one of us is missing, we are incomplete. We can have the best music, the, be the best preaching, the most perfect scriptures. We can have the best everything, but if we are missing so much as one, we're incomplete. The beloved community of God's children is not full, and it's not here, and we're lacking. Lent is a time to rebuild that. Will it be perfect? Not on this side of heaven. Should we strive for it? Absolutely. Lent is this time where we strip away all those things that blind us to the truth, that deafen us to the truth, that block our hearts from being able to receive that love from God the Father who calls us His ones, His chosen ones, His cherished ones. We are His. And yet the enemy still gets into our heads and says, if you are, if He is, 
It's time for us as a church to reject it. Reject the enemy over and over and over. To this very day, 2,000 years later, you can travel to Jerusalem, to the Holy Land, go into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You can go and touch the very place on the top of Mount Calvary where the cross of our Lord stood and Satan met his demise. The moment he was terrified of. The moment he had in mind when he's asking Jesus, if you're the one, show me because I want to run. I want to hide. You can go and touch the very place where the lifeless body of Jesus Christ was at one point in the tomb and see that it is empty. None of that happened by coincidence. It happened because of you. It happened for you. For that dust to come back to life, to shirk off the dustiness of life, the imperfections, the sins, to plunge ourselves into this beautiful, beautiful season of Lent, not to be shamed. Don't think that the church has given you this time of Lent to focus on your sins and, oh, you bad people, go back to confession. Don't eat meat on Fridays. Give up your chocolate or whatever it is. Make a sacrifice. The church, in her wisdom, offers us this opportunity to be reminded of our core identity, who we are, God's beloved people. Our very, very, very first and primary vocation, our first calling, is intimacy with him. And it's not this worldly view of intimacy. It's such an intimacy to where we open ourselves to him to allow him to peer inside, to heal what needs to be healed, to raise up what needs to be strengthened, to bless what's already strong, to purify us in such a way that when we let all those things fall away and die, come Easter, what could we do other than celebrate the resurrection? Newness of life. It's that same life that the Lord received at his baptism. It's that same power of life that he rejects the enemy three times and drives him away. And it's that same life that is within you. That same life which is in you. The enemy's going to come and tempt. Just like Adam and Eve. Did he really say that? Are you really the son of God? Are you really the daughter of God? Does God really love you? If you wonder... Ask the question to no one other than our Lord, to no one other than the Almighty who can answer, because He alone is the truth. You have a place here, regardless of the questions, the doubts, the struggles, and you are welcome. Take this opportunity during this Lenten season to let those pieces of yourself die that don't need to be there, that blind you to see His glory, that deafen you to hear His voice, that allow you to embrace him as he embraces you, to see him as he sees you, to adore him as he adores you. Because over and over and over, he will reassure you. Time and again, you, you are my beloved child. And behold, with you, I am so, so well pleased. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at Christ the King is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctklsu.org.